0: Hallelujah. Thanks, guys, for worshiping. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ben. Let's all pray before we sit. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this glorious day that you've given us. Thank you for your provision for uh, the worship we have today. I thank you that even as we worship you, we are simply giving back to you that which you've given us already. I pray today, Lord, that as we go into your word, as we give our tithes and offerings, that you would uh, be here in a way that is life-changing, that uh, completely transforming and glorifying of your son, Jesus. In his beautiful name we pray, amen. You may be seated. i gonna do a couple of brief announcements. Um, went down Peterborough Street. Seems like something's going on downtown, so... Uh, wink! <laughs> the Boxing Hall of Fame parade is today. Um, personally, I would avoid any large crowd, but uh, my wife is doing the Town Festival with uh, a couple other individuals, a lot of people from church volunteering down there, which is really awesome. And uh, if you guys can be there later, uh, after the parade, lots of fun stuff to do, a lot of good food to eat, a lot of fun games to play. Um, couple of things, I totally forgot to bring it up with me, though, so bear with me as I just walk around here. We have some stuff printed up. How many people by show of hands got a bulletin today? Yeah, if you didn't get one, by all means, please uh, take one. A little bit of information on the church, something you can stuff in your Bible just to remember service times and what we're doing and who's who and what's what. Um, so if you haven't grabbed one of those, please please grab one. Um, Jeannie and Anna, uh, we're greeting people this morning, and uh, what's the matter? Are we going Where? We will be going later. Yes, we will be going to the parade. You guys were all asking. You guys were all thinking the same thing. Where are we are going to the parade. The other is this. This is a flyer for uh, our Saturday night church. Um, we have a, a tent and a display at the Town Fest with all this stuff printed on there. All the information you need. What we're asking you to do is to find some place to put this. Uh, the dashboard of your car is not it. Folded up inside your Bible, not it. Uh, preferably a storefront somewhere. Maybe you own a business or you know somebody who owns one or you're not afraid to ask a business owner, hey, can we display this? Um, especially in Canastota, the town of Canastota, um, what we're trying to do is just reach them. Just trying to reach people. And so we're going to have Saturday night service starting June 28th. Uh, it's going to be at Kristen and Justin's home in Canastota. And if you wanna take one or two or a few of those, please take them. Um, I would ask you that if you're going to take them, to please post them. Um, Flyers cost money. The money that paid for that came from tithes and offerings. And I believe the best way we can steward that is by not wasting these. And so if you wanna take some, that's great. Just make sure you post them. If I can have uh, a couple of ushers come forward, we're gonna take our tithes and offerings this morning. If you're a guest here today, you're under no obligation to give. This is your home church, please, by all means. um, We don't preach that God blesses those who gives. We preach that God blesses everybody. And this is an opportunity for you to support your church. And that's what I would ask you to do today. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. Thank you so much for the day you've given us. I pray as each person gives today, uh, that they would be blessed for those who can't, or maybe even for those who won't. May you bless them as well. May may you show them, excuse me, Lord, uh, may you show them that you are a God that can be trusted and that you are a God who will take care of every need we have, even when we don't give. Father, I pray that uh, whatever is given, whether we use it for flyers or use it for paying the light bill or whatever we use it for, that we would steward it well that we continue to be above reproach as, we, uh, as people give to your house and as we use it for the glorification of your son, Jesus. And may you receive all of the glory in your son's precious name, amen. So go ahead and give. Let me get situated here. As you give, pull out your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 2 we have been on a bit of a journey. Paul has been sharing his experiences with the early church. Um, Logistically, Paul's not able to just go to every church whenever he wants, no telecommunications, no internet, no tweeting, no Facebook, no social media, nothing like that. So any kind of contact is either by letter, as we see in the book of Galatians and the other epistles, or by physically visiting these churches. Twice Paul visited the church in Jerusalem. He met with uh, the pillars, he called them. He met with men like Peter, James, and John, the men who were the spearhead that God was using uh, behind the Holy Spirit to build his church. In doing so, Paul has done a lot of things. The first thing he's done is become very transparent and shared his, his life of sin prior to knowing Jesus. He shared that he was a murderer, that he was one going around and and, uh, wanting to destroy the church because he believed that this Jesus that everybody was preaching was not God. Until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, Jesus blinded him. And through a series of events, Paul realizes, oh, this Jesus is the God that I've been serving my whole life unbeknownst to me. And that's who he's going to go, Preach. He tells about how he goes to the early church and, and you sense that tension. Now, just imagine, just imagine someone who once was destroying the church coming into the church saying, yes, I'm a Christian and I want to tell people about Jesus. A lot of tension there. But Paul's very open about his life. Uh, he's very open about what his past has involved. And God redeems that and uses it. And you find that the early church glorifies Jesus, not Paul. They glorify what Jesus has done in Paul. Paul's not high and lifted up. Jesus is high and lifted up. The second encounter is when Jesus or excuse me, when Paul, again meets uh, Peter, James and John. Um, he's presenting himself, he's holding himself accountable to the Jerusalem Church. He's saying, "Hey, this is the gospel I preach." He's not looking for their approval, but he's certainly uh, presenting himself in a way that keeps him accountable to make sure he's preaching the actual gospel. You know, there's a lot of folks, they get into a disagreement in church and they go off, they start their own church or they do their own thing. And, and, and all they really do is cause more division and fractures in the church. And that's not Paul's reason for visiting. Paul's reason for visiting was to be on the same page with what everybody was doing. And while they weren't uniform, they certainly were going in the same direction. As Christians, that's what we want to do. We don't all have to look the same. Some of you might want to dress a certain way. Some of you want to dress another way. That doesn't make you more or less a Christian. Uh, we, we're glad when you guys just wear clothes. That's kind of that's kind of my prerequisite. Are you covered? Good. Let's worship Jesus. Um, maybe it's a quiet style of worship. Maybe it's more boisterous. Maybe. Um, Maybe like me, I preach out of the the English Standard Version and and you like to read the King James or the New King James or the NIV or the NLT or the ABC, whatever. And those things are minor differences that shouldn't separate us. They shouldn't divide us. They might make us a little more unique and interesting, but they shouldn't cause us to divide. We also learn that in that time, there was Judaizers coming in preaching, yes, you need Jesus and circumcision you need Jesus and a whole lot of other uh, Jewish law to really be saved. You're saved, but not really saved. And Paul says, we didn't give them an inch. We didn't give them any time. We did not allow them to infiltrate what we were preaching, what we know to be true about Jesus. Lastly, and we talked about this last week, Paul shares an encounter with Peter. This encounter, though, is in Antioch. This is sort of Paul's home base. This is his his hub for ministry. This is the the leaving from and going back to point. And Peter comes there, and Peter's acting like a hypocrite. He is in front of Gentiles, eating with the Gentiles. But then the Jewish people show up, and he's like, oh, no, I wasn't eating with these guys. I was telling them how dirty they are. Paul calls him out and says, look, you can't do that. You you can't be one way with these folks and and another with this. You can't teach the Gentiles that there is grace. And then once the Jews show up, now all of a sudden there's all this law you've got to hold to. And and the Gentiles are dirty and you can't associate or eat with them. And Paul calls them out. And I, I think it's really interesting. You can tell that it's the early church and not the modern church because there is no division there. You don't read about how Paul goes and starts his own church and Peter starts his own denomination and you have the Paulites and the Peterites. You just have two men who realize one's calling out the other and one's realizing his sin and folly. And Paul says he opposed him to his face. There was no backbiting. There was no, no no. oh, oh, hi, Peter, you're so great. And then behind the scenes, did you see what Peter was doing? That guy is a jerk. No, it was, was, I'm going to confront you in what you're doing. Because... The unity of the church is more important than allowing someone to continue in sin, especially the sin of hypocrisy, a sin that we, in our day, we dress it up. And we say, you know, I can be this way at church and this way at home and this way at work. And you can't be, you know, you can't be Christian at work because it's a different environment. No, you're called to be a Christian no matter where you go. You're called to be light and salt in the world, regardless of the atmosphere around you. You're to have integrity and, and character based on who Jesus is, not the environment around you. If you change because of the environment around you, let that be a red flag. Be the Christian, be the person that God has called you to be, wherever. however the, the atmosphere changes. Whether you are, you're at home, you're at the gym, you're at a restaurant, be respectful to the people around you, right? You might you might sing a little louder here at church than you do maybe in the restaurant, you know? You might, you might be a little more free at home than you are here at church, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about minor differences. We're talking about folks who come to church, have a certain language, leave, and they go to work, and they have a different language. They have a different way they carry themselves. It's like putting on a mask, and that's what biblical hypocrisy is all about. And so in these three encounters, what Paul is, is doing is he is eradicating false gospel. It is though it is, it is as if Paul has gone to a home that has been built up and has been built on a, on a good foundation, but the rest of it's shoddy. At some point, somebody stopped using proper measurements. People stopped using the right kind of materials. And it's all gonna come down to the foundation. That's what Paul's been doing. He's been chipping away at this. He's been breaking down walls to get back down to the foundation of the gospel. Church, we should never deviate too far from the essential message of the gospel. That is, God loves us, we are sinners, but because God loves us so much, he gives his son to die in our place. We call it the great exchange. He stands in our place, takes our sin on the cross, endures our punishment, so that we through faith may be saved. That Jesus is God. That Jesus is not just a God or a demi God. He's not a lesser God. He is God. And Paul's going all the way back to that. So Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 says this We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. next week, and verse one of chapter three starts off with, "O oh, foolish Galatians. The culmination of all this is, is, is who has bewitched you? Who has conned you? Who has told you the, a message contrary to this, and, and, and why did you latch onto it? If you remember the, the profile of the Galatian people, not necessarily just the church, but the Galatian people, they were very uh, gung-ho, about a lot of things, but they were gung-ho for for passing fads and and trends and things that would would ebb and flow with culture. So so one teaching came along. Yeah, that's the the new teaching. Let's latch onto that. And then that would kind of wane. And then a new teaching would come. Yeah, let's latch onto that. And Paul calls them out on that. Church, there's going to be a time where we have to call each other out on things. We talked about that last week and we can do it in love. Jesus said, deal with the plank in your eye first, then go after the speck in the eye of your brother or sister. It's not wrong to point out the speck. It just says, Hey, first deal with yourself. Make sure that not that you're necessarily perfect because that's going to be an endless endeavor, but to make sure that what you're calling them out on is not something first that you are doing too, then becoming a hypocrite. Um, you take care of that, you reflect, you talk to Jesus, you make sure you're not doing that thing. If you are, you repent and you stop, and then you can approach your brother or sister in Christ about the speck that might be in their eye. So let's, let's look at a few points here. I know many of you uh, are really excited for the Boxing Hall of Fame parade, and uh, it's gonna be a great day, beautiful weather, I want you just to hang in there. If you could be singly focused for, forgive me I think I can knock this out in 20 minutes. OK? And if I don't, well, hang tight. But uh, what I want to do is I want to make sure that you can stay focused on the Lord for this amount of time without worrying about how late the sermon's going to go, or how much longer is He going to take and that sort of thing. Because if you do that, you're going to miss the whole message. You will have accomplished nothing here today. You will have gotten up, gotten dressed for no reason. And I want you to stay focused on the gospel of Jesus, the message that Christ has for us today. So the first thing I want to look at is works versus faith. This, is a, this has been a lifelong, uh, or excuse me, a, 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 when I say lifelong, the life of the church long battle between those who believe that we are saved by our works and those who believe that we are saved by faith. It is human nature to believe that we will be saved by our works, that I will be good enough, that my good will outweigh my bad. Here's the thing, though. Human nature, that is who you are because of who you are, is flawed because of sin. It's flawed because of sin. Because of sin entering into the world, and you being a sinner, which the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the grace of God, your judgment in and of yourself is flawed. So that, that natural feeling that I must, I must give to God to, to gain his favor, to get his attention is a flawed approach to God because of sin. Every other culture, every other faith on the face of the planet approaches God in that way. Christianity is pretty exclusive in that we are saved by grace, not by works. That by faith in Jesus and, what, and the works that he has done, Not what we have done, but what Jesus has done on the cross by faith in him being not only the one who completed all things, but being God incarnate, we are saved. Before we ever get off the couch or get out of the pew, God loves us. God has saved us as we have exercised faith. But there are those who are trapped in the bondage of, well, if I just do more, if I just do more, if I just do this, then God will love me. Then God will forgive me. God wants to forgive you. If he didn't want to forgive you, he would not have sent his son to die for you. If he wanted you to be punished in hell for your sin, he would not have sent his son. He would have just simply let us all go to hell one day. But no, the intervention is Jesus coming into human history, dying on the cross for our sin so that we can be made whole and complete and be adopted into the family of Christ. Matthew chapter three, verse 17. Matthew chapter three deals with the baptism of Jesus Christ. He goes to meet his very eccentric cousin, John the Baptist. John the Baptist is in the water. He is baptizing people. He's calling out the Pharisees. I mean, he's having a good time, dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey. And Jesus approaches him to be baptized. Now, just like the rest of us, John the Baptist kicks and says, I, I shouldn't be baptizing you, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, this is, we must fulfill all righteousness, let's do this. As he is baptized, it says that the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus as a dove, that from the heavens they hear God the Father saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. At this point in Jesus' earthly life, he has done little to nothing. After this will be his temptation in the wilderness. After this will be the miracles and the casting out of demons and, and the healing of the sick and the, and the, 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 uh, the sparring with the, um, the Pharisees. Before Jesus, Jesus, the son of God, has done anything, God is well-pleased. Before you ever lift your hand to do something for God, you need to understand that God loves you. It will change how you serve, how you do things for Jesus. Because if you're doing stuff, hoping that you get it right, so that at the end of the day, God will love you, you're working out of fear. You're, wor- you're not working out of a love for God. You're working out of a, a wrong fear. But if you understand that God loves you, you go out in a joy to do the work he's called you to do. Now when you give, let's say you give financially, you can't wait to do it because you get to do it because God has allowed you to do it. Maybe you're going to you're going to swing a hammer here at the church. Maybe you're going to go volunteer at the booth we have at Title Town. Maybe you're going to vacuum the floors or help with the children. It's a joy now. Because it's not about whether or not God will love you. It's God loves me. I get to do stuff. I get to be on his team. I get to be his child and help other people come to know him too. My children will ask me all the time, does that person know Jesus? I don't know, son. I'm going to guess by the way he cut me off and waved at me with one finger. I'm going to say maybe not. But they ask and they want to know and they want people to know Jesus. Does that person go to church? Is this song about Jesus? Because what I'm rearing my children to be is not just really good moral sinners. I want them to know that without Jesus, life gets really hard and life is not worth living without him. That they need him more or as much, I should say, as I need him. I want them to see a dad and a mom who, who aren't just winners all the time, that when they fail, they repent. When they miss the mark, they go back and say, you know what, I missed the mark. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I failed somehow and I need Jesus. We don't need we don't need to raise our kids to simply be moral and ethical. We need them to be changed by Jesus and allow him to implant and give his morals, morals and ethics. Well, what about works works working out of faith, prove our faith. That's the way James kind of puts it in the book. The hero, the letter that he wrote, when you have faith, it produces something. James says it this way, you have faith, I have works. I'll show you my faith by my works. I will show you where my faith is by what I do. It's sort of like walk the walk and talk the talk. He's not just somebody up there saying, I believe in Jesus, who just happens to be my bigger brother. I I believe him and look at, at, this is how I prove to you who I am affiliated with, who I belong to, who my Lord and Savior is. If by your actions they don't prove that you follow Jesus, go back, repent, start over again. Live a lifestyle that glorifies Jesus, that even the works that you do glorify him and not you. I, uh, I have a pretty, I don't know if you call it a bad practice or what, but when people volunteer in the church, I don't parade them up here. I don't bring them out and blast trumpets and throw confetti that, yay, somebody did something. You know, I like people to to come and do stuff, and it's not that I don't thank them. That's not what I'm talking about. But it's not about glorifying them. It's not about glorifying me and my methods and how I'm going to do this. It's about glorifying Jesus. Jesus said he will build his church. Jesus said he will work through us and do stuff. I don't want to glorify an individual or a person. I want to glorify the Jesus who's in them and I praise God, and there will be times where we recognize people who have done stuff, but I want to be careful not to puff people up either, to not fill them with pride instead of, uh, instead of faith in Jesus, okay? If you do do stuff here at the chapel, I am eternally, eternally grateful for anybody who does anything, no matter how small or how big. Ephesians 2 and says, 10 says, for we, were, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, a, cr- a person who meets Christ then does nothing, I would question their salvation. Jesus said, through Paul, and to the Ephesian church, we were saved to Christ, two good works. Salvation should produce something. You plant an apple seed in the ground, at some point you should get apples, right? Christ plants himself in you, at some point you should look and appear to be a Christian, not a facade, but I mean you are deeply transformed. Next, I wanna look at the law. And you might, you might be saying, Tony, that was really fast and condensed. Yeah, that's kind of the version you're getting today. And if you need more after this, by all means, let's stay and talk and, uh, and or meet up later in the week. I, I have a, a schedule that I have, but um, if we can fit in time, we'll fit in time. But what about the law? the law is one of the most confusing things of all of the Bible because what it does is instead of teaching, instead of people seeing it as a way to reach Christ, not by accomplishing it, but by, by being uh, convicted of their sin, they see it as a checklist of stuff that they can do to avoid hell and they bypass Jesus altogether. There are some 600 laws in the old Testament. And many of you, you know, you've been taught certain things. You go back to the Bible looking for that law, and you don't find that specific law, and you think, okay, then I can do that. I have the freedom to do it. Or if you find the law, you say, okay, I can't do it. Here's the purpose of the law, to point to us, to show us that we are in need of a savior. It also provided the opportunity for us to die. Here's the thing about being born again. To be born again, you must die to self first. To be raised up, you must first die. The law gives us opportunity to die to ourself. And the reason why we die to ourselves is because we see that we are sinners. Here's how Paul puts it. Galatians 2, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Through the law, I died to the law if you read the, uh, chapter 7 in the book of Romans, a great chapter, some of the, some of the best, my most favorite scriptures of all of the Bible are found in 6, 7, and 8 of the book of Romans. But chapter 7 specifically, Paul uses this analogy, this metaphor. He uses the metaphor of marriage. In the Old Testament law, um, one of the only ways that you could remarry was if your spouse died. And Paul says, before Christ, it's as though we are married to the law. But if by the law we die and we're raised up again, we are now free to remarry. We are now free to join ourselves to Jesus. We are now free to walk as his spiritual bride. As we die to the law, we make ourselves open to Jesus and faith in him and what he has done. Many people, when they get to the law, they, they, they start off well. They see, I need, a, I need to make things right. I have sinned. That is not the worst mentality to have. I'm not saying that you dwell and you feel guilty and condemned. That's not the purpose of the law. And that's not the purpose of, of faith in Christ. But when you've done something wrong, you should feel bad about it, right? If you sin and don't feel bad about it, there's something really wrong with you. You should sin and then realize, oh, that was wrong. But where folks fail is they say, okay, I've sinned. Let me fix myself. And all we do is rebuild the same machine, the same building, the same bad plan all over again. Here's how Paul puts it. In verse 18, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Jesus must be the one to do all this. You can't say, Jesus, let me tear down this stuff, and then you can rebuild. Nope. You can't say, Jesus tore everything down. Now I will rebuild. Nope. Jesus must tear down. Jesus must rebuild. Jesus must convict so that we seek his forgiveness, and then he must rebuild us and, 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 and from the ground up, him being our foundation, building us to be the temple of God. Paul says it like this, if I rebuild it, I rebuild it in the same way. If I rebuild it, knowing that the first model was wrong, I'm gonna rebuild the same model over again because of sin. It's the only plan I have. I I will keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. I really like video games. Anybody here like video games? Video games are great. I remember getting my first video game system, it was the Nintendo, the very first one to hit American markets. And it came with Super Mario Brothers. One of the greatest games still to this day, 30 years later, one of the greatest games ever made. There are certain levels that were really hard, like you had to really jump just perfectly. And I remember I'd sit there and I'd do the same exact thing over and over and over and over again with the same results. I'd keep jumping In the same way, in falling down the pit or running into a a koopa or a mushroom or a bullet or whatever, I would continuously do the same thing and get the same results. Sin is like that. Because of sin being in our lives, if we rebuild ourselves, we just rebuild and rebuild and rebuild and it's got to be torn down again and again and again. And so what we want is for Jesus to tear down because he's really good at that. And then for Jesus to rebuild because he's got the best plans and he's really good at that too. How do we do that? We don't do it through self-help. And I don't want to ever preach to you in a way that tells you that you just got to help yourself. You know, you just got to find, the, you know, your power within. You got to find your oneness. That's all new ageism and paganism and anti-God and anti-Jesus and it's anti-Bible. The The truth is, is, is the human left to his own devices is sinful and as a result, evil. So we need God to rebuild. We need to exercise our faith in Jesus and find forgiveness in him. So that's been about 10 minutes. Okay. Here's the mega theme we need to focus on right now for the remainder of our time. Some you know, over 200 times in the New Testament, there's this one particular phrase found over and over and over again, especially, almost exclusively in what we call the Pauline epistles, the letters written by Paul to various churches. It's this phrase, in Christ or in Christ Jesus. Jesus it is huge it jumps off the page it's, it's one of the reasons why it, this is not gospel this is pastor tony's speculation it's one of the reasons why i believe that paul did not write the book of hebrews because the book of hebrews is missing this phrase unlike the other letters that paul wrote in christ let me ask you this question this is the big challenge of the day are you in christ are you in Christ. Look at it like this. Right now you are in church. You are in this building. People driving by can distinguish whether you are in here or out there. They see it, right? Are you in Christ? Here's how Paul puts it. it. Basically in this small seven verses, there's three direct references and three indirect references. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. In Christ, in the Son of God, with Jesus. In such a short, brief snippet of scripture, Paul is hammering this theme. Are you in Christ? Because... Romans 8 and 1 says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what that means is for folks who are not in Christ Jesus, there is condemnation, just wrath and judgment for those who are not in Christ. We are striving to, if you are a non-Christian today, the rest of us who, who consider ourselves Christians by faith are striving that you would know Christ by faith that you would also be in Christ. It's really not a very complicated theme of the Bible. There's no you know, going into the Greek and the Hebrew. and It's really just, are you in Christ or not in Christ? Are you a Christian or not a Christian? Here's what we're finding in our country. The church is dying. Here's really what's happening. Name only Christians are dropping the name. People who affiliate themselves with the church or with Jesus for no other reason than they have no other answer, they're the ones who are finally deciding, you know what, I'm not really a Christian. Those who are actually Christians, that number is continuing to grow at a very slow rate. Not, it's not exploding by any means. But those who, who, when confronted, are you a Christian? Yes. What are you basing that on? I don't know that nominal Christianity is dying. I don't, I don't win. Jesus doesn't win. The church doesn't win if you are a Christian by a name only, a nominal Christian. You certainly don't win. You certainly don't experience the life that only Jesus can give you by being a nominal Christian, a name only Christian. This is the difference between being in Christ and not in Christ. Lots of people can be really moral and ethical and have integrity and character apart from Christ. Those things do not make them Christians. The blood of Jesus Christ is what makes you a Christian. The sacrifice of, the, of God himself and your faith in him, that's what makes you a Christian. So I need you to answer this question today. Are you in Christ? Read the book of Romans. Read all the letters that Paul wrote. Pastor Tony, that's a lot of Bible. Yeah, it'll do you good. Read it all. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Faith, in Christ. Praying, in Christ. Fellowship, in Christ. See, we can do all those things outside of Christ and it does nothing for us. You can do good works outside of Christ. You're not storing up treasures for yourself in heaven, as Jesus said there are lots of, lots of folks who are not Christians who do good stuff. You know, the Zuckerbergs who give the, you know, the billions of dollars and the, the Bill Gates who give the billions of dollars and the Ted Turners who give billions of dollars. That doesn't make them a Christian. I'm sure that's being used for good, hopefully, but that's not what makes them a Christian. Being in Christ is what makes you a Christian. Lastly, The Bible deals with us in two ways, congregationally or corporately, the body of Christ, but also individually. It's wrong to overemphasize one or the other. It is right to emphasize both. Here's what Paul says in verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God, Who loved me and gave himself for me. Church, the reason why I preach conviction, why I preach repentance, why I preach that we are sinners, why I preach the need for forgiveness is first, it's biblical, B, it's countercultural you know in our culture we don't want to hear those things all the more reason to be louder with it but ultimately ultimately what has happened is Jesus has done these things because he loves you he loves you take a moment try to wrap your 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 human mind around this spiritual truth that God loves you individually he loves me individually. Many of you are good at God loves you, but really poor at God loves me. You meet people, you meet them and you say, "Okay, I see why God would love them. They're a delight." When I go to their house, they're so cordial and nice and loving and who wouldn't love them? But me, I've I've just messed up too much. I have I've have done things I don't even want to speak. I have, I have committed some of the worst wrongs imaginable. There's no way God could love me. There's no way God can forgive me. He's promised to never leave me nor forsake me, but I don't believe that now because of what I've done. Certainly he must, he must flee from me every time he sees me. This isn't a competition to see who's done more wrong but I want you to look at what you've done and realize that it's not big enough. It's not bigger than the love of God for those who exercise faith in Christ, for those who are predestined and called according to his great plan. He is like a father holding a child and a good father holds a child and never lets them go, right? When he has a baby, when he has an infant and you, you, you pick up a baby, you do everything you can to hold on to them, don't you? Jesus is really good at holding on to his kids. He's really good at going after the rebellious ones. He's really good at going after the ones who forsake him. And here's what I want you to realize that when you, when you don't reach out to the hand that has reached out to you, it may not feel rebellious, but it is. Pastor Tony, I'm not worthy. I'm not I'm a sinner, blah, blah blah, I've done this, I've done that. I realize that, but what you're doing now is you're using low self-esteem as a form of rebellion. And that's not helping you. And it's not helping the church, and it's not helping your family. I will tell you this: You may not be instantly be able to say, "You know what? Pastor Tony, you're right. God loves me. He loves me, He died for me. And now there are birds chirping on my shoulder. And I have squirrels doing my housework and it's basically a Disney princess story every day of the week. Okay, that's not gonna happen. I get that. But here's, what I wanna, here's where I wanna get you. Here's where I feel the Lord is leading us in what we can consider a success, especially myself as a pastor. I will consider this a success. If you can come to a place where you say, Lord, I don't feel it. I, I hardly even believe it but help my unbelief. Don't let me stay in a place where I just say I don't understand it and leave it at that. Come to the Lord, say I don't understand it, but help my unbelief. You can pray for people all day long. That's great. Many of you are really good at that. That's awesome. I want you to pray for yourself today. Let's stand. Where's Ben? that's all right. Don't worry about it. Short message, very condensed, kind of like a, just a shot in the arm. Hopefully, I want you to leave with more questions than answers. Really. I want you to walk away saying, well, what about this? What about that? I've read this. This has been taught to me. I want you to seek, ask, knock. You want to play some music? That's all right, man. I want us to pray for each other and for ourselves. I think that a little preoccupation with yourself is a little dangerous, but it is necessary from time to time to make sure that you are right with the Lord. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus, or maybe you have, but it it didn't really mean anything to you. I want to offer you the opportunity to give your life to Jesus. Maybe it's a time of rededication. You, You were once on fire for the Lord, and Someone put out that fire. Someone put water on the, on the fire and it's just smoldering now. Maybe you need help with unbelief. I want to pray with you. I know everybody's got places to go and everybody's got people to see. I want us to take a moment to continue to focus on Jesus and seek him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for the words of your servant Paul preaching to us, showing us, teaching us that that you died for us, that you love us. That there is no reason for us to be outside of you. But there is every opportunity to be in Christ. I want to pray, Lord, that today would be a defining day for folks who are here. That this would be the day where they leave in Christ. That it's no longer an in-name only nominal Christianity, but that indeed their life has been so radically altered because they have been born again. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to literally die to ourselves. I thank you that the law provides that opportunity, but Lord, I pray that we wouldn't leave it just at that. Father, for those of us who struggle with knowing that you love us, I pray that you would increase our belief. Help our unbelief. Lord, help us. Help us to see past our own emotions, our own feelings, our own misunderstandings, our own bad theology, our own bad doctrine, Lord. To look past our good doctrine and our good theology that often hinders an intimacy with you. Lord, if there are those who just haven't given their lives to Jesus yet today, I pray that this is a moment where they do that, Lord. That they would find forgiveness in you, in the simplicity of expressing their faith in you, being the Son of God, and completing the reconciliation needed on the cross for those who are ready to rededicate themselves to you, because gosh, either themselves or someone put water on the fire and it just It's just been smoldering and smoking all this time. Lord, give them light that fire of rededication in their lives. And Father, I pray for this church. I pray because we're a church that's very quiet a little too quiet, Lord. We're quiet about our faith, we're quiet about what we believe. And you've called us to boldness. And I want us to see that definition of what that is. I want us to see what it means to be bold and to live for Christ wherever we go. Forgive me, Lord, if I have given wrong teaching or bad teaching that has prevented this. For the times where I have not stepped up for the times where I have not boldly preached. But Father, I pray that you would change us so that we would go out into the community and as missionaries bring home captives bring home those who are captive to the enemy bring home those who are captive to sin and death who are captive to addiction who are captive to morality who are captive to religion help us Lord to be a light in a dark place in Jesus name Amen Church the life of a Christian is unlike the life of anybody else The the, the pain doesn't go away, but the pain now has purpose. The joy that you experience is far greater than any other joy you can experience on the face of this earth. Not only that, you get to rejoice with others who are in joy. You get to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. So your friend gets a job. Praise God, you got a job! Yeah! Somebody has a baby. Oh, you had a baby? That's awesome. It's beautiful and healthy. You see somebody come to the Lord, I've been praying for you, that you would know Jesus, and here you are, and you're you're knowing Jesus. And you also get the pain. You get the folks that come in and say, I lost the baby, lost the job. My son or daughter won't give their life to Jesus but you get to weep with them. And I tell you, it doesn't make the pain less. It almost amplifies it more, but you come together as a family and, and you rejoice over Jesus. It's a life that Jesus says is the life that is more abundant that he comes to give to us. I want you to embrace that. I want you to To break down the false idols that our culture has deemed successful Christianity and find that successful Christianity are those who know Jesus. It's not measured in zeros in your bank account, it's not measured by how many possessions you have, it's measured by by how Jesus loves you and how you love others. Let's go out with that knowledge. And have a wonderful rest of our day. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, what's happening June 22nd? Yeah, Laura gets 10 points. She's winning. What's happening June 28th? Church on Saturday is 10 points for you guys. The points mean nothing. If you need prayer for anything, I know a lot of you are going to the parade. A lot of you are going to be with friends. I get that. But if you have need of anything, please come to the altar. Let me pray for you. If you don't have time, write me a note. Say, hey, Pastor Tony, when you get time, take a look at this. More than glad to. Say goodbye to Jeannie and Anna who greeted you as you came in. And uh, if, uh, if you have any prayer requests, let me know. Otherwise, God bless. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Did you really? But it like that it. <laughs> was it like three chord pop pump? <laughs> no, <was> <laughs>